Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. What's up, guys? This is the Momentum Podcast. This is a bonus episode where we're going to do a deep dive on God's movement, my life. It is me, Hannah Macias. We got... Jeremy Jones. And... Matt Allman. Woohoo! All right. So, before we get started, we're going to talk about some really awesome stuff today. But I have to ask you some questions. Very serious questions. We got a new segment? We got a new segment. What's it called? We're calling this the Get to Know... Roast My Host? (laughs) (laughs) You're the host. I'm the host. No, I'm the host, but I'm about to roast you two. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. Number one question. Ready? Ready? Everyone's wondering. Okay. Picture yourself... You're at a restaurant. It's mm. a build-your-own-bowl restaurant. You can put anything inside the bowl. What do you put in the bowl? Uh, so, like, we're talking about, like, what, what what style of food? Anything. You can put anything in the bowl. Okay, I'm putting some red mango shrimp curry. Ooh. What else? Um, that's about all it's going to fit in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> KFC already made mine. It's called the Incredible Bowl. <laughs> If you don't know, That's it's mashed a, potatoes, oh chicken nuggets, gravy, little cornbread on the side. Fair enough. Yes. All right. Easy okay. day. Very creative. Um, okay, number two. Need you to go back to high school. I know it was like 1940s or whatever, but I need you to think about uh, in your life. <laughs> what is your most cringy, embarrassing moment in high school? Matt, you're up first. My most cringy? Gosh, it's like, which one do I choose? <laughs> I'll tell you something. Let me take you to sophomore year, circa 2001, and the thing to do was bleach the tips of your hair. (laughs) The thing, the girl to know was my girlfriend at the time. Why? Because her mom ran a hairdressing school. Guess who had free bleach tips for all of sophomore year? Oh, wow. Well, Paul Mitchell... Uh, little Paul Mitchell, uh, what do they call it? An expo came yep, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I had the good. representative hook me up. <laughs> That's good. Throw that little puka shell necklace. <laughs> throw that with a little American Eagle That's a polo. Look now, you realize that. That was a look. It's coming and now back. And ba- all the 90s stuff. It's back. coming back. Dream. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to actually probably copy Matt's answer. What? Between my freshman and sophomore year, Work. Eminem was like everywhere. Oh, yeah. And so, oh, wow. so many guys dyed their hair. Price. Uh, <laughs> Platinum blonde. That's praiseworthy. And I dyed my hair platinum blonde. Now, do you did you ever get a hold of frosting glow? Listen, I know you. If your hair is brown and you're trying to dye it, it'll turn your yeah, it'll turn your head orange. Okay, happened to me. Bought the it was called Sun and I brought that for spring break. Thought I'd come back with bleach tips. Came back a ginger. So, (laughs) (laughs) no disrespect. So then, uh, then you got to get frosting glow, and it felt like acid. I'm not kidding. You had to leave it in for an hour. My eyes are watering right now as I tell you about it because I can feel it. I got phantom pains. That's good. There's so much hair stuff that's like can't be legal from the EPA anymore. Yeah. Like in the 90s, it's like, oh yeah, this will just totally change your hair Mm -hmm. color. It's like washed it right down the drain in the ocean. And it probably no. There's no way a fish could survive. If you had one fish tank and you put frosting glow in the tank, (laughs) mm -mm. it's all over. Mm -mm. Oh, that's good. That's good. What are we doing here? Uh, last question. Okay. Okay. This one I need you to tug on your heartstrings. Are you ready? Your favorite quality about your wife. Mm. 
Just one. <laughs> just one. Okay. Um, <laughs> personality trait. Yes, pastor. Personality trait. Of course. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah. I was going to reword it. I thought we were... She's one of... My wife's one of the funniest people. Yeah. Undercover funniest people. You wouldn't... Maybe that wouldn't be the first thing. We <laughs> laugh nonstop. We Aww. laugh nonstop here. That's good. I'd say my favorite quality about him is... Like, you can be 100% just real, vulnerable, honest, it would set her with her. And, like, she just loves and cares for you. And so, like... That's helpful. Like, yeah, that's good. when uh, the Sunday when Kobe died, we're, like, we all found out we're still at church. We're still all doing work. We have a, a community group lunch. And so I'm like, oh, I've got all these people I'm interacting with. I got to keep it together. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I get home, Kim is there at the door and she's like, I heard about Kobe. I know you're upset. It just like gives me like this big hug, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it, not because of Kobe, but because of the love of like my wife here, you wow. know, or something like that. So, that's yeah. beautiful. That's so beautiful. that's uh, we love Kim Jones. Yeah, well absolutely. done. Well done. Absolutely. All right, cool. That was good. Now we know you a little better. Now we're gonna dive into the real stuff, the stuff from Sunday. Um, Matt, you talked about, you give this really cool example where you actually had like a loaf of bread in your hands and you were talking about how David had to be faithful to being the bread boy, the guy who's going around giving all the soldiers lunch um, before he could actually become like this great person that God had for him. He had to be faithful to what was given to him. So the question that's probably on some people's minds is, okay, how can you tell the difference between these small things like being a bread boy, being faithful to these little things and being faithful and discerning if that is a distraction or not? So these little things that God maybe puts in our way that we think, okay, is this actually significant? Does this mean anything? How can you tell the difference between this is just a distraction, I need to put this to the side, mm-hmm. or this is actually God moving in my life and I actually need to be faithful and tend to this? Man, I think my mind races. I think the words or the answers in the language because there is a difference between distracting things and small things. Ooh. And so, That's good. so you would... You know, I, I mean, it's not wrong to have a vision for your life or a place you hope you end up. Mm-hmm. You remember we talked with the loaf of bread in my hands. I'm saying one of the biggest problems is we look past the bread we've been given right. at the place that we hope we would end up one day. And meanwhile, the bread is, in fact, our ticket to yeah, that place. You can't look past it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could just picture that, let's use that vision language because God still gives dreams and visions mm-hmm. and vision is godly, ambition is godly when it's checked by um, good community, scripture, and the spirit. So I'm not against big picture vision, dreams about a life. However, so, so we're going to use that language and we're going to say if you're looking straight down that vision for your life, if you're looking at the end zone and what has been, what, what is consuming your time does not sit between you and that vision, but it sits off to the right a little ways or it sits off to the left mm. a little ways. Man, the hand gestures would help. This is an audio podcast. <laughs> Picture me putting two hands straight out in front of my face, like, like touchdown, but out in front of my shoulders. If you're looking down the vision and what has been given to you looks like it is in line with that vision, mm-hmm. that is a small thing. Chances are it's a small thing you've been entrusted with. Um, if, if it doesn't, if it sits off to the side, you know, like, let's say your dream is to be an award-winning writer. Well, you know, a 20 hour a week Xbox habit is probably not in line with that vision. So that's where I would begin. That's good. Jeremy? 
I, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I don't know if I have anything that adds any much, much more clarification. Or Let anything. me riddle you this one, yeah. because this seems like something you would have an answer for. Um, this is unscripted. Well, there are times when we've seen ministry kids, right? And there's a time, I, I, I had to do this, there's a time when you need to quit your job over here Mm-hmm. and go over to this place where you can serve in this ministry because you know you have a ministry calling in your life. Yeah. Still, there's some kids who are in this job, and they need to work that job because they're getting job skills there that they haven't learned anywhere else that they will need for the ministry destination. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how would you have them? Sure, okay. If they go, Jeremy, yeah. quit the job or the job is part of God's calling for me, how would you help them? I would say, okay, you've got to go back down to like, if you're completely honest with yourself, what is your motive for doing either one? Mm-hmm. Praise. And so if you're if you're actually seeking God, you're in prayer, you're saying, okay, God, is this something for me? A lot of times what we want to do is we, there's a situation we don't like, and we want to put the blame on God for quitting. Mm-hmm. Hey, this job is a distraction. God's got bigger and better things for me. And in reality, we're just like, I, I just don't like this job. Yeah. And so I'm going to quit it. I'm going to say, well, it's God's will for my life. And it's like, no, God never told you that. And if you were really honest, you'd just be like, I didn't like this job. Mm-hmm. Right. Or we're like, hey, no, like God's called me to bigger and better things, so I need to stop doing this small thing so I can do this. And it's like, no, you just don't like the small thing. Uh, so I would say, change, yeah, check your motives. Make sure you're praying about it. And if you're super honest with yourself, usually you can figure out pretty quickly. As Kendrick Lamar would say, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> That's Absolutely. That's good. Absolutely. Okay, so going to the story of David, there's this the scene in the movie, the scene in the story where somebody tries to get David to wear this armor that doesn't fit him, okay? Mm-hmm. So the question here, though, is, okay, how can you tell the difference between someone who's giving you a hard truth that's uncomfortable and that you actually need to listen to versus someone who's trying to get you to wear armor that doesn't fit you? How can you discern the difference? Sure. The person who's speaking the hard truth has your best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. The person that's trying to get you to wear armor is trying to get you to be like everyone else. Uh, Or they're basically trying to go off what conventional wisdom is. So if you were back in the day with David and stuff like this, the normal train of thought would be to say, yes, you should wear King Saul's armor. He has the best, I mean, he's the king. He has the best armor available. He has the best, uh, you know, smiths making it. The smart move here is to wear King Saul's armor and go out there and fight Goliath the way that a normal person would. David was knew himself well enough to know there that, that he can't do mm-hmm. what everyone else does. And so the That's more good. you know who you are, the more that you can tell the difference between those. Secondly, how do people how do, how does the person react when you give them like the like if someone gives me a hard truth mm-hmm. and I'm like all defensive and stuff about it and they're like, "Bro, I just want what's best for you." Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to that a lot more than someone's like, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. how, how is the person who's giving you the truth? Like, a lot of times in their reaction, you can tell whether it's they have your best interest in mind or they're just trying to get you to go along with the crowd, etc. Matt, That's would true. you add anything to that? What would you say? The armor is tricky. I've had plenty of people call me out in my day and plenty of people hand me armor that, that isn't fitting. I look for... If I was listening to someone and I was saying, is this, is this somebody trying to get me to live into their plans and passions or what they think I should be? Or mm. is this somebody who's helpful? The first thing I would look at is the emotional maturity of the person talking okay, to me. Okay, that's good. Yeah. 
because in times when people have spoken truth, I could you sit down at the table and the sense you get is they'd rather not be telling you this, but they love you enough to let you know. And, you know, I said early on, like when we were talking about how do you evaluate the people in your life that you allow to speak into it, we said the mark of the type of people you need is they will tell you something good for you even when it costs them. Yeah. And so when I sit down with people, I usually just feel like who, who are the truth tellers who are genuinely telling truth. I can just sense deep emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, and a tone and a, and a vibe about those people yeah. that I just trust. When I, in times in my life, when <clears throat> people have put armor on me, maybe it's not mine to wear. That's just a metaphor for trying to get you to go somewhere you're not made to go. Yeah. Sometimes, it usually is always like surrounded by a lot of like... I feel like really fired up people come and tell me something. And there's always this like this extra layer of hype around it. Like people who are so, so, so excited for me that they're trying to get me to move faster than I feel would be sustainable. Mm. That's always one of those signs. Mm. Oh my gosh, you're going places and it's going to feel, oh man, it's just a matter of time before you do. And I'm going, whoa, I'm happy here. I like being right here, right now, and I feel great about right here, right now. Hmm. And you're trying to talk to me about there, and there's just something in me that feels like, yeah, there maybe one day, but this isn't time. Hmm. So, so the wrong armor, people trying to get you to live into a destiny that's not for yours. For your, I, on the good side, you feel emotional awareness. On the other side, you start to feel like you're being rushed hmm. or coerced. Or even leveraged. That's good. And then that's that just smells bad to right, me. Right, right. Cool. Okay, so we're this whole series is about following your calling, finding your calling, doing this real work, and then eventually flourishing. But I think sometimes when we're talking about this process, it can seem like kind of tiring, if there's a better word for it, where it's kind of even discouraging. Because it's like you keep going through this refining process over and over and over again. So the question is... Do we have to want a calling, number one? Like, what if you just genuinely like, nope, like, deuces, I don't want this. And if you do decide to go through it, like, what's the ultimate benefit of it? Because it kind of just seems like, I don't know if you ever heard that, like, quote or when, you know, people say this, but it's like, the gift of a challenge is another challenge, right? Yeah, like, yeah, And yeah. so that's what this kind of feels like for some people, I imagine. So, like, what would you tell to that person who's kind of sure. struggling with this? So if someone was like, hey, can I just not have a calling or something like that? Or do I even have to, like, participate in this? I would say, here's the deal. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we are baptized, we are not baptized and then Jesus is like, all right, so no, no, do your own thing until you die. Mm -hmm. And then when you die, I'll see you in heaven. Right. Like we are baptized into a movement of God redeeming and restoring all of creation. Yeah. And so we join God in that work. The beautiful thing is, is that Christ and God has like, from the beginning of time, set aside specific things for each person to do. So living into our calling is not so much a matter of, do I want this or not? It's more a matter of, am I aware of this and will I live into this? Because the mm. calling is there for everybody. Now we've talked about this before. It looks different. It involves different places, different, you know, so yeah. like, it's like each person is going to be slightly different, but every Jesus follower has a calling on their life yeah. because we're all called to love others. We're all called to care for others. And so if our, 
if our hesitation is, oh, wow, this sounds hard. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it absolutely <laughs> is going to yeah. be hard. But if you're like, no, I guess I just don't have a calling because of whatever reason, or I just don't want one. I would say like very carefully check your heart and your motives because every Jesus follower has a calling. Matt, what would you add? I think what you're asking is like, well, what if people are like, that sounds hard. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. I think that's the heart of the question. That's why Tolkien wrote the first book, um, The Hobbit. Because um, if you know the story, old uh, Bilbo, he has two sides of his family. His mother's side and the father's side, the Tooks and the Baggins. And the Baggins were this people. And they liked the Shire, a safe garden, a nice warm fire, some good tea. You know, their feathers got ruffled quickly if they were late for lunch or dinner. And then the Tooks had this long story within them of adventure and spontaneity and all this stuff. And then Bilbo is called by what's named Gandalf, Gandalf on this yep. epic adventure. And what Tolkien does so masterfully is he tells a story, but he's really telling the human story. And um, what happens is you watch Bilbo just get thrust into this journey. He, he was hesitant at first, but one thing leads to another, and he finds himself full on in calling, in the war, in places that are uncomfortable. And then you watch him go back and forth. There's this part of his heart, the long, the, you know, the took side of his heart is that part of every single one of us that, that, that want, no, the Baggins part of his heart is that part of every single one of us that just wants a warm blanket, yeah, Netflix security. all night yeah. with the same three friends the rest of my life. But, but the, the took side of his heart just kept pulling him deeper and deeper and deeper into this adventure and then the story uh, that Tolkien is trying to express is this this young guy named Bilbo is not the same person by the time the story is over Mm -hmm. he's transformed yeah and to to go off of that one of the things that we have to correct and I don't want to dive into this too much because I want to save this for later messages and the series and stuff like that is that there's a misunderstanding that says that heart is bad yeah and so like Yes, it is definitely hard to pursue your calling, but the the fallacy or the thing that you want to avoid is thinking that it's not better. Yeah, like pursuing your calling is better than not pursuing your, your calling. calling. Your yeah. life, you will enjoy life more mm-hmm. pursuing your calling than not. And so the fact that it's hard is just simply one of those things that's true of life. But yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 good. Yeah. So let's go. I want to kind of go back to this Hobbit idea for a second. Let's say. <laughs> you you guys are pastors. You're kind of the Gandalf in this situation, okay? Like, hypothetically, you guys are the ones, like, pioneering this adventure, showing people this better way of living. Hey, like, this is what's possible when we follow Jesus. So let's say, like, let's put ourselves in that shoe. And then maybe there's some listeners out here who are mentors, uh, who are parents, mm-hmm. who are youth leaders. And they're looking at a kid in their life. They're looking at, a, you know, somebody else in their life who they see as, like, kind of this hobbit figure mm-hmm. who's, like, has potential, has destiny, but they're not quite awakened to it yet, okay? And maybe they look at all the struggle and the hard challenges, and they're like, dude, that is, like, so off-putting. No. What would you tell this person, again, this mentor, this leader who's trying to lead other people into their calling and destiny? What would you tell them is the first step of, like, awakening someone's heart to this idea of, like, there's something better, there's something greater for you? What would you do? It's what would you that. Tell it's what you said. It's awakening their heart to the idea that there's something better. The Going back to the original question is, like, what if somebody says this looks too hard? 
I would just argue they just have too small a vision for what transformation is like in the kingdom of God. Mm. If you could just look in, if you could paint for people like, man, I know it's hard now and I understand everyone's drinking. But if you could just, I'm talking about high school kids, if you could just see everything God could make you, if you could feel what it would be like to be you, if you live surrendered to God for 20 years, you would want that more than anything else in the world. And vision is hard because how do you get a 16-year-old to see that? Number one, you live it. And you have, if I was in a mentorship role or a shepherding role or disciple-making role, First of all, I have to be and become a living picture of what it is I'm trying to tell you about. That's good. Yeah. That's why Jesus said, follow me and mm-hmm. brought him in. And, and I would just over and over and over point at the world around us and go, that's a taste of what it's like. That's what it could be like. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? That's what it looks like to leverage your life or something. You see where this guy's going? See how he has everything, but he just lost his family? That's not it. That's somebody who didn't pay attention to things like this. Vision, vision, vision. That's good. What it could be like to be transformed. That's good, yeah. And then what I would also say too is like if you're thinking of someone specifically that you're hoping to awaken something in, like call out what they may not, not what they might not yet see in themselves. Like I think yeah. that like like Jesus is like, Hey Peter, you are the rock and on this I will, you know, build my church wow. or I will make you fishers of men. Like sometimes with it with the person that you're training or mentoring or someone that's younger than you. They might not know what's in them that God wants to use. And when you call it out and say, mm-hmm. I see this yeah. in you, That's you have good. the potential to be one of the best teachers in this school district. Or you you could be somebody who just changes the lives of dozens of people around you. Or like the way that you artistically are gifted, man, your art could speak to so many people. Like call out what you see in them and, yeah. and give them sometimes you like you have to give them the confidence until they start to um feel it themselves that's good yeah so i would say do that that's cool okay so maybe let's move into a family a context of a family here and still talking about this call calling awareness this awakening this vision what would you say to somebody in who's a parent and how would you tell them as a busy mom or a busy dad and they have a bunch of responsibilities hey you need to live out your calling like what does this conversation look like with these people how would you encourage a family person okay so one of the things I would explain to a person is that, hey, part of your calling is your family life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like, man, I have this calling that's out here in the world, but then I've got to come home and change diapers and you know mm-hmm. and help with homework. No, part of our calling, and I know this, like when we use stories like David, one of the things that we can be confused about is like, well, I don't think I'm supposed to be a king, yeah. and I don't have the opportunity to be a king, so maybe the calling is only for you know X Men. No, like part of we we use stories like that because they're. They're super well-known. They're very easy, plain examples. But in each of our lives, we have a calling that involves the people in our family. And so part of my calling is to be a great husband. Part of my calling is to be a great dad. Part of my calling is to demonstrate what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Hmm. And so like, uh, if you're asking like on a practical level, what does that look like? It's like, okay, look at the people inside your family. And for my daughter, um, Alicia, who's 16, like for me... There are certain things I do spending time with her that I know are meaningful to her and that nurture that relationship. Mm. My son, Axton, who's almost two, there are far different things I do with him. (laughs) But when I'm doing those things, that's part of my calling. That's good. Because it doesn't do me any good to say, 
I did this stuff out here in the world, but I never did it at home. Oh, yeah. So if you are a busy mom or a busy dad and you're like, okay, well, I'm spending this hour and a half with my kids. I don't know if that's like, no, that's exactly, yeah, like, yeah, finding ways to be Jesus and to, to help deepen and develop their faith. That is your calling. And for, for certain seasons of life, that might be the majority of your calling. Yeah. What would you say, Matt? Your calling burns the brightest in the places that are the most unique to you. So if you're trying to, let's say you're listening and you're trying to find calling, mm-hmm. you can start by looking at the most unique roles you have been given, and they are the most important for you. So think of it like this. I pastor Momentum Christian Church. I'm a lot of people's pastor, but I'm only three kids' dad. Mm-hmm. Dad wins. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, I get hit by a bus tomorrow. Y'all going to find a new pastor <laughs> this week. Somebody will be preaching mm-hmm. Sunday. I am replaceable. There will not be a replacement wow. father in the same degree yeah. that I father my children Absolutely. to this point. And that's just good leadership because in leadership environments, we say only do what only you can do or do what is uniquely you, you know? And so at Momentum, you lead worship and our teams that lead worship. That's very unique because I can't do that. You can. I can't walk up there and fix a note or a chord or a chorus or a bridge. You can. And so ding, 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 ding. That's, there's calling in that because it's something you've been uniquely crafted to do in your hmm. leadership context. Yeah. And so you go with what's unique. So what, am I, what are my like most unique callings? I'm putting those first and using that to set priorities. Okay, good. Anything else you guys want to add? Is this it? This we're wrapping? We're wrapping this podcast. Don't no. worry. When we start diving into refining and suffering, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we'll I have, have a lot. Of awareness is the good stage to talk about. Where it's like, okay, yeah, how do I, how do I discover my dream? Yeah, that's good. Oh, All Lord, right. I'm suffering. Bye, everybody. See you later. Woo! Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.